Hi there, and thanks for joining us. I'm Joanna Arisman. And I'm Leah Alter. And this is Women Share, a marketing guide for women in financial services. We are so excited for this episode, and you should be too. We are honored to have as our guest today, Kristen LeClaire, CFP and founder of the 994 Group in Austin, Texas. She has been in financial services for almost 25 years and hails originally from North Carolina, uh, where she worked in banking before managing the advisory business at SunTrust Bank um, at just 26 years old. She launched the advisory platform while at a firm focused on serving institutional bank clients, which was later acquired by LPL before moving to Texas to join another independent broker-dealer in RIA to help grow their advisory business. And did she ever. Uh, in her time there, she grew that business from $5 billion to $13 billion in just a few short years. And then, you know... She also led a full marketing and rebranding of the company. In 2018, she created 994 Group to serve and impact her clients directly. She is a mom of three boys, married to a naval officer, literally the biggest Metallica super fan of all time, and a friend to all animals. I was lucky enough to meet Kristen in 2010 when she had recently located to Austin. Um, and as I reflect on the last 13 years, I have known Kristen. She has been my colleague, my mentor, and my advocate, my dear friend. Now we've gotten to add another one to the list. She is one of my financial advisors, along with her amazing partner, Pete Markovich. Kristen is truly a force to be reckoned with. One of my favorite women on this on this planet. And we are just so thrilled to have you here. Welcome to Women Share. Well, I am thrilled to be here. And that was a really gracious and generous uh, overview. And I'm not sure it's deserved, but thank you. Oh, it's deserved, lady. It <laughs> is deserved. We're so happy to have you here. Yes. Kristen, from everything Leah has said leading up to this, um, it seems like you have so much value to add to this show. And given your background, especially spanning both the corporate side and now being an advisor, just can't wait to hear your story. So can you start out, tell us a little bit about your practice, who it is that you serve and why that focus is important to you? Well, our company was um, started, you know, from scratch. So we had no clients. And so in the beginning, it was like, if you had a pulse, I was really excited to meet with you. Um, but it actually framed the way that we still operate today. And um, when people ask me what my clients look like or what their profile is, um, it's really just people that share our values. Um, we don't focus on any specific job market or career or geography. Um, it's really just about people uh, who, who view money as a tool. We always say that um, the goal isn't to die with the most money, it's to live the best life. And money is just a tool. And so it really is just working with anyone that, that fits in that profile. We only have two, I guess, you know, client minimums, if you will. Um, the first is a strong no asshole policy. Um, we tell every single client, um, prospective client in the first meeting that we do not work with assholes. And we have had to uh, affect that uh, policy um, and walk someone to the, the elevator. And was that uh, Leah? <laughs> no, we passed the test. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, 
that was someone that was not nice. Um, and so, and then the other um, just kind of minimum or rule or client profile is that if you are married or in a serious relationship or partnership, we require both partners to come to the table. We won't work with just one person. Everyone needs to be, you know, involved at least to some degree. Um, and that, those, that's it. Otherwise we have clients all across the board. We have clients with over $20 million in assets. We have clients who are trying to get out of debt. So that's, that's really the profile. That is a great policy. And honestly, when you guys told me that was it, I was like, man, that makes me want to work with you even more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I try to think that I'm not an asshole. You are not, to be clear. <laughs> to be clear, you passed. You passed the test. We passed the test. Even my parents passed the test. So there you go. One hundred percent. So as you know, this podcast is focused on women advisors and corporate leaders in the financial services industry, and you have been in both roles. Um, can you talk a little bit about that transition from a corporate leader to an advisor? What do you love about the move? What have been some of those challenges? would love to hear, you know, I, I, I'm sure our audience is interested in hearing what that was like for you. It was a dramatic uh, transition for me. And in some ways it was traumatic as well. I, you know, I started the, the business um, after over 20 years in the business. I mean, I was an executive for a firm. I had an assistant and a really big budget and a big team and I had, you know, just been doing it for a long time and I loved it. I loved the work that I did. So it was a really strange transition to, you know, going to a role where like I almost, I mean, when I started, I had no clients. So like I didn't have anything to do and I didn't get a paycheck for two years and that was not fun. But, you know, the, the transition was, it was really good because I knew in the long term that it was an investment in myself and in my family because, you know, now five years later, you know, income wise um, and just in terms of the fulfillment that I get, you know, it's just a very different, it's like, I'm not back in an executive role, but I'm in an incredibly fulfilling role and I am making a difference every single day. And I, I don't have a big team, but I have a huge network of clients. And so I still have that experience of, of teamwork and collaboration. And I continue to do board work and um, work in other capacities with nonprofits to kind of exercise some of those um, strategic muscles, which I did really love. But it's just, it's really funny because anyone that works in this industry for a long time um, they all think about being an advisor one day. It's like, oh, I could do that. It's like, you know, I just, I look back and I think that a lot of my colleagues were a little um, tough on advisors and about, oh, that guy's an idiot or this is easy. These guys, they just, you know, meet with clients and golf, but it's really hard. Um, getting new clients is hard um, and maintaining your value with them on an ongoing basis um, requires a lot of work. Um, so I've, I've had a really healthy just dose of respect for what's required to operate this kind of business and to do it successfully. You know, that makes me think, Kristen, well, first of all, yes, speaking to my personal experience, 
we'd have many conversations of, gosh, maybe someday so-and-so would be a great advisor moving. So that's very true. I think a lot of people have thought about it. And I'm paralleling this when I moved from the advertising agency side to being on a corporate marketing side. When I got to the corporate team and I was like, now the client of an agency, I had so many ahas. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this when I was on the agency side. I would like, now that I understand the other perspective, I would, would have done things differently. Have you had any of those moments? Like if I'm, if someone is on a corporate team and now that you've made that transition, are there any like moments where you're like, oh, this, we seem so tone deaf on a corporate side. If you speak to advisors about this or don't acknowledge that any advice there. Yeah, definitely. Because the um, the experience I had was incredible for setting up the structure of the business. Like I knew exactly how I wanted to structure it from a compliance and a regulatory perspective. I knew the technology. I knew how to price it. I completely underestimated the gravity um, with which I would be engaging with clients. And mm. it's it was an amazing aha. I love it. Um, it has been the most amazing thing. And it is like some days it is the toughest thing because I get the call when someone gets a diagnosis that's not good. And I need to go back and look at an insurance policy or um, I need to make sure that their estate plan is up to date and think through, okay, if we lose a spouse, you know, in their fifties, you know, we, we do a financial plan for a long term. Right. So the, the amount of trust um, that I have with clients and the ability to have a positive impact on their families has been incredible. So like that's on the side, that's tough. But I also, I get to be the person who retires with people and I get, you know, some of the first photos of new kids or grandchildren. So I just, I really underestimated um, the level of connection that I have with clients and how important I am to their family. And I mean, I, I mean, I get thank you notes from clients. I get packages like chocolates in the mail. And um, I just, it's amazing to see the kind of relationships um, that I've been able to, to form with these clients. I mean, it really is, um, it's special. And I think the first time I realized it was really the first client that I, I kind of won, if you will. And she was, uh, or is an Indian woman. And she, you know, was from India before she moved here. And in that culture, women typically, especially of her age, she's in her 60s, they were not involved in the finances. And so when she got divorced in her 60s, it's like she was starting from scratch. Okay, this is what a bank account is. This is how you pay bills. This is what a budget is. I mean, forget like, you know, what's the standard deviation of your portfolio. It was like, <laughs> we got to start from the ground up. She was very anxious. Well, today I can barely get her to come in and meet with me. She's traveling all over the world. She's seeing her family, you know, in all different countries. She knows what her budget is. She is not worried at all. And to just be a part of that transition, like that was the first time. And my business partner said after that meeting, he's like, I could see like how your demeanor changed in that conversation. He's like, I knew that the first meeting that you had that experience would be changing. And it really was. Oh, that's fantastic. And in what you said here, it, it's occurring to me. So again, I was only on the corporate side and being reminded that 
hey, if you're, you know, pushing your corporate agenda, say there's a product launch or a new campaign, you know, remember that advisors and their staff are bringing their whole selves to work too. And they may have just gotten a really tough call from a client and then they're coming yeah. into your training session and that sort of thing. Right. So yeah. just, you know, that's always going to be an advisor's top priority is their clients. And so respecting that, honoring that as you're yeah. partnering with them from the corporate side is really important too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just your point about um, just respecting the emotion of it, because yeah. I, I definitely carry the weight of the the good and the bad when my clients are having experiences for sure. And that's, I think, I just, I never really appreciated that until I really experienced it. Standing in those shoes. Yes. So thus far, where are you seeing the most success in growing your practice? How are you finding new clients or expanding your relationship with the clients that you have? It is 100% referrals, um, which is great now that we have clients. In the beginning, when I didn't have any clients, that was a real problem. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think that the clients that we work with are, are a little surprised at um, the way that we engage. I mean, Leah, you know how, how it is to work with us. I mean, it is not a stuffy kind of office. It is I mean, we laugh, we have fun. I mean, they sing to you on your birthday. They will call your birthday. and leave yeah. a voicemail. <laughs> Happy birthday. Probably Metallica style. Yeah. It's not pretty, but, but people, they really like enjoy where, and they're surprised because we spend so much time, um, you know, educating them and making topics um, relatable to them. Like I was working with a young woman one time and I was trying to really talk to her about debt and um, in like, you know, debt is not a bad thing in and of itself. I was like, but you want it to be like Lizzo kind of debt. You, you want it to be like PHAT debt. Like, and, and she was like, you guys are the craziest people I've ever met. <laughs> and so, but like, she got it. She totally got it. And so we just, we take very complex terminology and, and ideas and we, we just deliver them in a way that's accessible to anyone. And we, now we have clients who are engineers and they get super detailed into the just calculations and, you know, how do we, how do we get to the statistics or whatever? And, and so we can do that too, but most people, you know, they just don't have um, the knowledge that we have. So it's a lot of fun and it's very empowering for them uh, to walk away and feel like, okay, I got it. Okay. This makes sense. Now I can, you know, cause when you have, confidence and understanding, it takes down the temperature on what's happening externally in the markets and in the world. You watch the news, it's like, okay, the whole world is blowing up, but it can help just create, you know, some, just it lets people kind of see it from an arm's length and not be stressed about it and take it on when it's not, not, not necessarily applicable. Yeah. I, just from my own personal experience with working with you all and even before I became a client, I worked on getting my parents um, as clients. And prior to engaging with you all, my mom was the primary person dealing with investments. My father had never even met their previous financial advisor. Never even met. 
Like he had never even picked up the phone and introduced himself to my dad. My dad had no idea who he was or anything. If there was an issue, my dad would tell my mom, my mom would call the advisor. And when I said to my dad, that is not how these relationships should be. Let me show you a different experience. And we went out to, I think we went out to breakfast or something with Pete. And all of a sudden, it became so accessible for my dad. And now my dad will pick up the call, you know, pick up the phone and call Pete if he has a question. And it's, you know, going into it, he felt like he wasn't smart enough to get it. So he would just let other people deal with it. Now he gets to be more engaged. And even though he doesn't understand the complexities, right, that you would, he gets to be way more involved. And the level of stress about money has decreased exponentially. Absolutely. I mean, when you have an understanding of what the financial plan looks like, and I I think that was one thing that we were really adamant about um, when we set up the practices that it's financial planning based the investments, like we don't even talk about investments until the third meeting. It's it's just one piece of it. And frankly, it's the piece that you have the least amount of control over. Markets go up and they go down, right? Um, so I just am always baffled by advisors that, you know, put their whole value proposition on just the performance of an account and like, okay, congratulations on your relative performance, but like you still lost money. So like, how does that leave a client feeling? And so, um, but that just helps us like go back to creating confidence where people can control the things that they can control. And when you show them how much control they can have, it's just, it's very empowering. So you said, and I'm going to quote you, I feel like my career has gone off the deep end, but my livelihood is thriving, unquote. And I know this is a, a vulnerable question for you. But can you talk more about what finding a new direction for your career was like and um, kind of what that evolution has been since 2018? So just on a personal um, level, I grew up in a family with very limited means. Um, I It was not a good situation. Um, and my mom in particular, I think, was in relationships because she didn't feel like she had choices. You know, she was very much financially dependent on, you know, bad relationships. So when I was growing up, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but all I wanted to do was make sure that I could take care of myself and I didn't have to worry about the lights being cut off or, you know, I could take care of my kids or, you know, whatever. I just, I didn't want to be stressed out. So when I got into my career, um, I, you know, I just, I kind of fell into this a little bit by accident, but, um, it, it became very much a part of my identity. My career was like, I was always on a very fast upward uh, career trajectory. Um, I got promoted quickly every time there was, you know, a merger and acquisition, I was in a position that usually came out better on the other side of that. Um, so I was really fortunate And um, I became an executive um, in my early 30s. And I was really proud of that. And it was, it was my whole livelihood. I mean, it was my career and the whole industry, all my friends were in the industry. And when I left my last corporate job to start the business, I had a one year 
non-compete, non-solicit situation. So I was really disconnected, like completely uh, from the industry. And I realized that a lot of the people that I thought were my friends weren't, um, they disappeared. And, um, and I would only hear from them if they needed something, frankly, you know, they wanted my advice or to be mentored or, you know, could I make a connection or whatever? And it just really started to eat at me. Um, and that's when I mentioned earlier, like the, the traumatic part, it just, it was really hard for me to go from having my identity wrapped around my career to being what I used to refer to uh, as, you know, one of the shitty advisors I used to make fun of. <laughs> it's like, I had no assets and no clients. And I was like every other, you know, industry person that was like, I could be an advisor, I'm gonna do this. Um, and it was just really hard. Like I felt like I was just really lost. And it was hard. It was really hard. So it took a while um, to really start refocusing those efforts. But when I did, I created a new network of really good friends. Um, I was able to engage in nonprofit organizations that I have a lot of passion around. I was able to um, you know, get engaged with my church and just create all of these relationships that I wouldn't have, that I'd never had before. I mean, I had been in Austin for seven or eight years, but like I didn't really have a network hardly outside of, you know, the people that I worked with. And there were a lot of good yeah. friends that I still have from that time. But um, I just, I felt like I almost started from scratch and um, that was a hard place to be. Um, and I also had gone from, you know, working as a busy executive, I was, I did my MBA um, kind of towards the end of that part. So that was two years of full-time school. It was so much work. And I just felt like I had all this time on my hands and it was, you know, it was just really a strange place to be. And I really had to go back and figure out like, okay, who am I? What do I want to do? What's important to me? And how do I live that life? And I think I finally have found it. And I'm really, I'm really excited. And I'm proud about that. But it was hard. I mean, it was like a lot of therapy, y'all. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that a lot of times people just kind of float through, right? They just keep going through the doors that open without ever slowing down and figuring out who I am and what's important to me and what do I want my legacy to be. And sometimes it takes the thing that you think might be the worst thing ever to make you slow down and do that only for it to end up being the best thing, right? Yeah. And it, it was, I mean, being forced to take that year off was 100% the reason that I stuck with starting the, the wealth management business because I didn't have anything else to do. And otherwise... I mean, I was getting calls, you know, from headhunters and different firms. I interviewed a few places and I had, I had several opportunities that were presented that I thought, you know, maybe, you know, I, I could have waited or it would have worked out. But ultimately, I had enough time to get the wealth management firm up and running so that by that point, like I didn't want to walk away from the groundwork that I had built. And so I, I just by, by force of 
um, having that, that time out, um, I really do think it is what set me up um, to be patient and to be able to, um, to just wait out because we, you know, we had the choice of either buying a practice. Everybody talks about buying a practice or starting one from scratch. And my original thought was that, well, okay, we'll, we'll buy something. I had one particular advisor that I chatted with about it. And he was like, you know, Kristen, it's like, it'll take a lot longer. It'll be harder. But if you can wait it out, you will be so happy if you start from zero. Because if you buy a business, you're going to back into the way that you structure it. Whatever's already there, you're just going to adopt it and you'll tweak it over time, but you're going to inherit their bad choices, their history of compliance issues, the crappy clients that you need to fire, like all of it. And he's like, if you can afford to wait, he's like, that's what you should do. And he said, you can need to put your head down and don't look up for five years. And like, that was the magic number. I mean, it took us five years to have a business with critical mass and, once, I mean, the first years were so slow again, because being a referral based business, but then in the you know, year three and year four, like it really started to take off and, and it really did. I mean, it took that long to, to hit over a hundred million in assets so that we could finally like be in a place where we had enough mass that we could be self-sufficient and sustain and, you know, not trying to, you know, worry about, you know, paying our bills and all that stuff. Well, you already gave us some great advice that you got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. It was really helpful. Yeah. Well, and along those lines, one one uh, value we want to provide to listeners on every episode is to have guests like yourself share what is some of the best advice you've received. So aside from the stick it out, you know, and it'll be the best thing that you've done. What other career advice would you would you share that has really helped you? I would say, um, don't compromise your values and that's way easier said than done, but it is a slippery slope because you do a little bit and then a little bit more. And then it's like, it is the old boil, the frog kind of analogy. What happens is that you just like, you degrade yourself a little bit each day. And then you get to the point where you're, you're stuck in a place, you know, you've got to make X amount of money. You can't stand, you know, X, Y, and Z about the company that you're at, but like you feel stuck and you have to be willing to make some changes along the way. You have to walk away from some good opportunities. It just, it's, it's 20 times harder you know, to, to make a, a huge move at a time in your life when you're much further in your career. So if you really manage that from the beginning, I think that you're going to set yourself up for a much better long-term path without having to go through the pain of like a massive career change. Yeah. Joanna and I can relate to that. <laughs> we are both very much in our own career transitions and reflecting a lot, I think. And also figuring out what wor is what works for us. Yeah. And I think that is so important to do at every stage of your career. Is yeah. this working for me or am I compromising? Yeah. Because when you find yourself delivering messages that you don't believe in, it's a really hard place to be. I, you know, I didn't realize like how, how much I was like losing myself 
until like a couple of years later when it was like, wow, like the lightness that was back, you know, the joy that was in my life, just the laughter and, um, and I'm a pretty jovial person and can have fun, but I just like losing the weight of, um, having to deliver messages and uphold things that I just didn't believe in was really hard. And mm, it's just, that it's is, not sustainable. That is such important advice. Such important advice. So you mentioned the advice you got about starting your own practice, but thinking about around your whole career, um, what is some of the best advice that you've received maybe from another woman um, or that you think would be a great thing to pass along to a, a woman coming up in the industry, thinking about making a change in the industry in general? Um, I have a couple of different thoughts and I'll, I'll share the first one, which is going to be controversial, but I'll, I'll share it because it worked for me. We love it. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are like, good Lord, you know, tell her to be quiet. But, um, you know, I, I have three, I have three kids and I always knew that I want to have kids. And I, but I also knew very young that I was very career oriented. I wanted to have a career trajectory that put me on an executive path. Like that was really important to me. So when I was in my early twenties, I asked all of the women that I worked with that were in more senior positions about when's the best time to have kids. And you know what? They all told me, do it young. They all said to me, it only gets harder to step away when you're further in your career and you want to be able to um, like take, you know, maternity leave and like take the time because the state of maternity leave in our country is abysmal. So we all know that. So you got to work within what's available. Well, I had my first two sons when I was just shy of 28 and 30. And it, and it was hard, you know, having kids is hard. But when I had my third kid, when I was 36, it was way harder. And being gone and being stressed out about what's happening, like I literally remember the day I was in labor. I went into labor two weeks early and I was on my Blackberry because this is back in the Blackberry days. And I'm, I'm texting like real time. And I finally said, y'all, I have to go. It's time to push. Like <laughs> it, it was just like, um, it was really hard, you know, and then, and I had nursed my babies and that worked for me, but I mean, it meant that I had to pump, you know, I'm in meetings and, you know, and everyone would laugh because they would know my door was closed. And if you're on a conference call with me, like you could hear the machine in the background. It's hilarious, but it was hard. And I don't think that there's a, a right time for everyone, but for me that it, it worked. And so that advice, I think it works well on the other side of that equation too. But um, I think that the, the key though, was that for me, I knew that I wanted to have kids sooner than later. And so it was easier, you know, being newer in my career. Now that derails other people, but so that's why I said, this is going to be controversial, but I think if, if kids are, are something that you're thinking about having in your earlier in your career, just being really thoughtful about what that looks like and what's the impact what's your support system and network. But that one's it's tricky. And that one is not going to be consistent for everyone. But I was really, really surprised that everyone I asked told me to do it younger. I really didn't expect that. It was very surprising. 
Well, I wasn't there for the first two, but I definitely got to see you in all your glory with your third. And Oof. yeah, it was like, I remember you were in the office like the day before. Oh, <laughs> or I, the morning of. I was there that morning and then I went yeah. to the doctor and he's like, uh, yeah, you're not going home. You're going to check into the hospital. I'm like, what? I got a meeting this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. We were we have things to do. Can we um, get this baby well, out by 3:30? I've got an important meeting. <laughs> oh, seriously. Um, but separate from kids, like I just think in general, you know, good like career advice. Um, I read the book um, early in my career, um, and it's called "Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office," and it's by I think Lois Frankel, and there's like a big quiz in it. Um, it's got like 80 questions or something like that. And it kind of helps you like recognize where you've got opportunities, you know, to work on. And so every time I would start a new job, I would reread the book and I would go back through because, you know, you mature and you change and where you, your area of focus needs to be is going to change. And so um, I always did that. And it was really helpful for me to just have some things to be mindful of. And the way that she structured the book, I mean, it's probably pretty dated now, but it was all like vignettes. It was like 80 stories of different women who had challenges in their career. And like, they were so relatable um, because there are things that you all have seen in the day-to-day -day and different experiences. So that was a really good tool for me. And I loved it so much. And I gave tons of copies away to other friends who were you know, going through periods that were challenging so that, that was definitely a, a good tool. But I think the last thing is, you know, just really being prepared to stand your ground, especially as a woman and as a young woman, I was frequently tried to be mowed over by people who were technically my peers or in other areas. And they were shocked at how hard I would push back. Um, people were often surprised that I was the bad cop in the, you know, the situation. And so, I, and I didn't do it just to be a jerk, but if I knew that I was empowered to make a decision and it was something that was gonna impact my team, I didn't back down. And I was really, really tough. And you gotta do it right up front. And I can think of like a couple of instances were being new in a role and I did it. And I knew if I didn't set the stage in that first engagement, then it would haunt me the rest of my time because they would feel like they could just come back and run over me. So being willing to, to be tough, I mean, you've got to do it in the right way and you've got to make sure that you have the right grounds to do it, but you have to be willing to, to be tough and to put someone well, in their place. And what I saw as a result of that was a team that was so dedicated to you because they knew you were dedicated to them. And Kristen's team was like the destination, right? For the whole organization to be on Kristen's team was you had elevated yourself to a certain level. And because of that, you had Kristen as a leader who would advocate for you. And I saw it many times. I was in the room many times. Well, that is ultimately the thing. Um, 
is that you have to have someone that's going to advocate for you when you're not in the room. And I've seen that play out on both sides of the equation where someone thought they had a boss that was advocating for them and they weren't. I can promise you that you will never get promoted based on solely your good work. Um, you will never get the raise that you deserve unless you have someone that's willing to go and um, just go to bat for you because there's so many just layers of HR and every company just has their politics and things like that. So having someone that is going to do that for you, I just think that's incredibly important. You've got to know who that is and you need to make sure that, that they're willing to do it for you. And if you don't see them doing that for other people, they're probably not doing it for you either. And I think for people who are listening, who are leaders, are you doing that? Are you advocating for your team? Like what piece of that can you bring into your career? It is so important and such a fantastic point. Kristen, thank you so much for being here. This was such an amazing conversation. And thank you for being so open and willing to share with us your experiences and your advice. We just really, really appreciate it. We know it's going to bring a ton of value for those that are listening. And um, I, I could, I honestly could just keep having this conversation for hours. <laughs> so I just really, uh, we really appreciate it. That is really our show for today. If ours is a mission that you want to share in, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, I am Leah Alter. And I'm Joanna Ayersman. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Women Share. <laughs>